The 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been talked about by people in many different ways, but first and foremost, she's the author of an extraordinary text, The Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English. Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years. I'm the Reverend David Simmons, Episcopal priest and oblate in the Order of Julian of Norwich. Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Good morning and welcome to Love With His Meaning. That's what we call it. Uh, reading and praying with Julian of Norwich. Um, we are here on chapter 52. Uh, we will begin with the little office that is linked to in the description. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's say together Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. And listen to my prayer. I call upon you from the ends of the earth with heaviness in my heart. Set me upon the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. I will dwell in your house forever. I will take refuge under the cover of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have granted me the heritage of those who fear your name. Add length of days to the king's life. Let his years extend over many generations. Let him sit enthroned before God forever. Bid love and faithfulness watch over him. So will I always sing the praise of your name, and day by day I will fulfill my vows. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let's say together a prayer of Julian. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough to me, and I can ask nothing that is less that can be full honor to you. And if I ask anything that is less... I shall always be in want, for only in you have I all. Amen. All right, so we're into chapter 52. Uh, we have finished the direct uh, reflection that she had upon the, um, the teaching parable of the Lord and the servant. Thus I saw that God rejoices that he is our father, God rejoices that he is our mother, and God rejoices that he is our true spouse, and that our soul is his beloved wife. And Christ rejoices that he is our brother, and Jesus rejoices that he is our Savior. These are five high joys, as I understand, in which he wills, that we rejoice, praising him, thanking him, loving him, endlessly blessing him. All we who shall be saved, for the period of this life, have in us a wondrous mixture, both of well and woe. We have in us our Lord Jesus arisen, we have in us the misery of the misfortune of Adam's falling. Dying, we are steadfastly protected by Christ, and by his gracious touching we are raised in certain trust of salvation. And by Adam's falling, we are so fragmented in our feeling in differing ways, by sin and by various pains in which we are made sad and blind as well, that scarcely do we know how to obtain any comfort. But in our intention, we await God and faithfully trust to receive mercy and grace, and this is his own working in us. Of his goodness, he opens the eye of our understanding, by which we have insight, sometimes more and sometimes less, as God gives us ability to receive it. And now we are raised into one, and again we are allowed to fall into the other. 
And thus is the mixture so wondrous in us that scarcely do we know about ourselves or about our fellow Christians how we hold out. Because of the wonderment of these different feelings, except for that same holy ascent that we consent to God when we sense him, truly willing to be with him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And then we hate and despise our evil stirrings, and all that might be occasion of sin spiritually and bodily. And yet nonetheless, when this sweetness is hidden, we fall again into blindness, and so into woe and tribulation in diverse ways. But then this is our comfort. We know in our faith that by the strength of Christ, who is our protector, we never consent to sin, but we rail against it, and endure in pain and woe, praying until that time when he shows himself again to us. And thus we remain in this muddle all the days of our lives. But he wills that we trust that he is everlastingly with us, and that in three ways. He, is with us in tr he was with us in heaven, true man in his own person, drawing us upward, and that was shown in the spiritual thirst. And he is with us on earth, leading us, and that was shown in the third showing where I saw God in a point. And he is with us in our soul, eternally dwelling, ruling, and taking care of us, and that was shown in the sixteenth showing, as I shall say. Thus in the servant was shown the misfortune and blindness of Adam's falling, and in the servant was also shown the wisdom and goodness of God's Son. In the Lord was shown the compassion and pity for Adam's woe, and in the Lord was also shown the high nobility and the endless honor that mankind has come to by virtue of the passion and the death of his dear worthy Son. Therefore he powerfully rejoices in Adam's falling, because of the noble raising and fullness of bliss that mankind has come to, surpassing what we would have had if Adam had not fallen. And thus, in order to see this surpassing nobility, my understanding was led into God at the same time that I saw the servant fall. And so we have now cause for mourning, for our sin is the cause of Christ's pains. And we have everlasting cause for joy, for endless love caused him to suffer. Therefore the creature who sees and senses the working of love by grace hates nothing but sin. For of all things, as I see it, love and hate are the most unyielding and most immoderate opposites. Notwithstanding all this, I saw and understood in our Lord's purpose that we cannot in this life keep ourselves from sin as totally in complete purity as we shall in heaven. But by grace, we can keep us from the sins which will lead us to endless pain, as Holy Church teaches us, and avoid the venial ones reasonably within our power. And if at any time we fall by our blindness and our, and our misery, that we can readily arise, knowing the sweet touching of grace, and willingly amend ourselves following the teaching of Holy Church, according to the sin's gravity, and go forthwith to God in love. Neither on the one hand fall overly low, inclining to despair, nor on the other hand be over-reckless, as if we gave no heed, but humbly acknowledging our weakness, aware that we cannot stand even for a twinkling of an eye except by the protection of grace, and reverently cleaving to God, trusting in Him alone. For one way is God's point of view, and the other way is man's point of view. For it belongs to man humbly to accuse himself, and it belongs to the excellent goodness of our Lord God graciously to forgive man. These are two parts that were shown in the double attitude in which the Lord viewed the falling of his beloved servant. The one was shown outward, very humbly and gently, with great compassion and pity, and the other of inward, endless love. And just so wills our Lord that we accuse ourselves, willingly and truly seeing and recognizing our falling and all the harms that come therefrom, understanding and being aware that we can never reinstate it, and along with that, 
that we are also willingly and truly recognize and acknowledge his everlasting love that he has for us and his plenteous mercy. Thus graciously to recognize and acknowledge both together is the gentle self-accusing that our Lord asks of us, and he himself does it whenever it happens. This is the lower part of man's life, and it was shown in the outward expression, in which showing I saw two parts. The one is the pitiful falling of man, the other is the honorable amends that our Lord has made for man. The other attitude was shown inwardly, and that was more exalted and all the same, for the life and the strength that we have in the lower part is from the higher, and it comes down to us from the self's natural love by grace. There is absolutely nothing separating the one and the other, for it is all one love. This blessed love has now in us a double action. For in the lower part are pains and sufferings, compassions and pities, mercies and forgiveness, and such other things that are beneficial. But in the higher part are none of these, except the same high joy and overwhelming joy, in which overwhelming joy all pains are wholly destroyed. In this our good Lord showed not only our excusing, but also the honorable nobility that he shall bring to us, transforming all our guilt into endless honor. All right, so uh, we took four chapter or four four sessions to get through chapter fifty one, which is a long chapter. This is a fairly long chapter on its own, but this is where we start to move back from that um, that that exemplum that that teaching parable uh, about the the Lord and the servant. She continues to use that language through this chapter and throughout the rest of the the um, uh, the, the showings. But we are not looking at it in detail in the way that we have in the last four weeks. It becomes part of the language uh, that she's working through. Um, this, this idea, she starts with these multiple metaphors. <clears throat> God rejoices that he is our father, and God rejoices that he is our mother, and God rejoices that he is our true spouse, and that our soul is his beloved wife, and Christ rejoices that he is our brother, and Jesus rejoices that he is our savior. So Julian is hitting us with a lot of different metaphors, and it's important that the way that she does this, none of these metaphors are 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 sufficient in themselves. That's why she's using so many of them. And this is something we have to remember uh, about theology, is that we're constantly using language that always falls short. So when we talk about God the Father, God is like a father, God encompasses the, the parts of fatherhood, but God is not a father. God encompasses all the parts of motherhood, but God is not a mother. Uh, and, and what she's doing here is using all these different metaphors so that we have to switch between them very quickly, and we can't hold on to anyone as being the way that we see God. Uh, and uh, honestly, whenever we, we switch on, we latch on to just one image of God, uh, that usually gets us into trouble, because you're bound to overextend the metaphor. If God is exactly like a father, then that means this, 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 and this. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Um, significant here is God rejoices that he is our mother. This is something she will say repeatedly, uh, but it's the first time that she says it uh, out front. Um, earlier on, she says in chapter 58 that mercy is part of the character of motherhood, and she attributes that mercy to God. But this is the first time that she speaks of God as our mother. This is something that Julian's known for, is for these feminine images of God, which, considering her context, are, are pretty extraordinary. 
But she's not the first one to articulate that. Uh, you find this all the way back through the early church fathers, indeed in the teachings of Jesus, where Jesus, the one I could think of, the, the um, most common one that we've just had in the lectionary was the, the one of the widow who loses the coin and, and sweeps around trying to find, trying to find that one coin. Uh, you know, feminine imagery of God is something that Jesus uses as well. But as the church is, uh, finds its home in a patriarchal society, uh, those, those mentions are fewer and far between than we might wish that they had been back at the time. Uh, but Julian is fairly clear about this. She uses this feminine imagery of God uh, throughout, but this is the first time that she uses, actually uses the word mother um, as a metaphor. And then we get into this idea of this wondrous mixture that we are, uh, you know, this is, this is where we get after she's had all the questions about, you know, uh, she, she's told by God that yes, sin is the worst thing that happens in the world, but God doesn't blame us for it. Um, that sin is uh, harmful, but yet it's behoovely. It's something that, that is part of human nature. So we, we get down we're and we move through that metaphor of the, of the, the, the Lord and the servant into this que this thing where she's talking about these two parts of our nature, that we are a wondrous mixture, uh, a word that, that works really here is muddle, uh, that John Julian uses later on in the translation, but we are um, a muddle of things. We are both the, the, um, the, the, the sinner in need of redemption and also the person that can never be blamed. Uh, because for, for, for our sin, because God has no blame in God's self. So, we are this incredible uh, muddle, fragmented in our feeling, um, in differing ways. We scarcely know how to obtain any comfort. This is a, a perfect description of the human condition. And and it's important to, to point out that the people she's talking to are not people who are outside the church. She specifically says, let's see, all we who shall be saved. So she's using, she's talking about in the teaching of Holy Church. So those who are inside the church is who she's specifically talking about. Those of us who are followers of Christ are in this, uh, everybody else is probably also in this state, but she spends very little time talking about people outside the church. She's mainly talking to her even Christians, to the people who are inside the church, to her fellow travelers. We are fragmented in our, fe in our feeling just because we acknowledge Christ, just because we feel Christ in our lives, just because we follow Christ doesn't mean that we're still not fragmented. You know, in fact, that acknowledgement is what leads to some of this back and forth. Uh, this is what I tell people is when you listen to the gospel, if you're listening to it, if you're reading it by yourself or listening to it week by week um, in church, you should be both comforted and challenged because that's what the gospel is all about. Uh, the gospel is not about holding us as Christians up as, as uh, being different than the rest of humanity. It's... It's, it's a method of challenging ourselves and, and moving ourselves closer and closer to Christ. So we're raised into one, and again, we're allowed to fall into the other. This is a constant part of who we are as human beings. We never consent to sin, but we rail against it. So this is, you know, you go back to the Apostle Paul saying, um, the thing that I do not wish to do is the thing that I do. And the thing that I want to do is the thing I don't end up doing. I mean, Paul, if, if Paul is struggling with this, I would expect that we're going to be struggling with it too. You know, this is part of humanity. So often we hear in Christianity this idea that if you're a Christian and you've accepted Jesus into your heart and all that kind of stuff, you should be this paragon ivory pillar of virtue. Julian says that is complete rubbish. You know, we fall, we rise. 
that is part of who we are as, as Christians. And the historic witness of the church shows that. That's why we have in some traditions uh, individual confession to a priest, or uh, which we also have in our tradition. But our more common confession mode in Anglicanism is that confession mode of the general confession, uh, where everybody confesses sins together. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need that. Um, so we're constantly in this up and this down mode, moving back and forth. Then we have an interesting idea. Uh, it's a fairly common idea in theology, but she says, Therefore, he powerfully rejoices in Adam's falling because of the noble rising and fullness of bliss that mankind has come to, surpassing what we would have had if Adam had not fallen. Now, this is a, a concept of the, the Felix culpa, or the fortunate sin, uh, the falling up, so to speak, the idea that, um, you know, quite often people are so, you know, only if, if Adam had only not sinned, then everything would be so much better. But the point that Julian's making is that Adam's fall clears the way for God, for Jesus's salvation and would not have been, would not have happened without Adam's fall. So therefore it's a fortunate, um, a fortunate fall. Uh, there's actually a concept in Judaism about this the same way. This is not something that Christianity just invents, but the idea in um, Judaism that if um, if the fall had not happened, there would have been no need for Torah, no need for law, and that law is the greatest gift to humanity and to the people of Israel. So therefore, it's good that the fall happened. And we have this in Christianity too, this idea of that the, the gift that Jesus gives us is so much better than what we would have had without the fall that maybe it's a it's a Felix culpa, a fortunate sin. Uh, it's it's a thought exercise, but it's it's important to remember, and it goes in with with Julian's whole idea of sin being behoovely, this whole idea of God not blaming us for our sin, which is the very core of her teaching. Therefore, the creature who sees and senses the working of love by grace hates nothing but sin, for of all things as I see it, love and hate are the most unyielding and immoderate opposites. So this is something we really need to hear these days. Love, uh, that, that love and hate are immoderate opposites. Uh, you know, uh, there, there is a lot of hate uh, coming throughout all of our society these days. And sometimes you hear it from the voices of Christians. Hate is not an appropriate response. The only thing we're allowed to hate is sin. And I'm going to, here's, here's another uh, turn on that. You will sometimes hear people say something to the effect of, well, you, you, you love the sinner, but you hate the sin. That's problematic. When we're talking about sin, when we're talking about hating the sin, and what Julian's talking about hating the sin is not hating the sin that's in the other person. It's hating the sin that's within us. It's examining ourselves and changing the ways that we do things so that we are closer to God. It's for us. The issue here, especially with the way Julian's presenting this, is that we are all muddles. We are all this kind of pool of going up and down and, and uh, left and right and, and not going in any particular direction in any particular way. You know, where do you separate the sin from the sinner in another person? We are allowed to do that within ourselves. We can, we can see that to some degree to ourselves. And possibly we can, if somebody is a Christian brother or sister, we might be able to sit down and we're close to them. We might be able to sit down and what people call about admonishment of talking about, you know, this, this doesn't seem to be going well in your life. Is something going on there? But this idea that like, I can hate an entire class of people for their sin, but still love the sinner. That's just not possible. We are a muddle. We are a mixture. How are you going to separate that out one from another? Um, so you really cannot 
love the sinner and hate the sin. You can hate the sin, but that sin that you're examining is supposed to be the sin within yourself. Uh, our job is to spread the love of Christ and that those other people who are brought in can then examine that sin within themselves. But it's certainly, there is nothing that allows us to hate. Uh, once we begin to hate the sinner or what we identify as the sin in the other, uh, we, we run ourselves into a situation where we very quickly hate the sinner and the sin altogether. Um, so she calls us then, neither not to falling on one hand overly low, inclining to despair, nor on the other hand be overly reckless as if we gave no heed, but acknowledging our weakness, aware that we cannot stand even a twinkling of an eye, except for the protection of grace. We, we only exist by the graciousness of God, and it's the fact that God puts no blame on us that we continue to exist. So what she says, our job as Christians, is to graciously recognize both together the gentle self-accusing that our Lord asks of us. So, when we are examining ourselves, it is supposed to be, as she puts it, a gentle self-accusation. Remembering that God loves us, remembering that God does not blame us for our sin. It's almost as if we need to be a doctor, gently probing a wound to try to find what they need to know about that wound or that malady. We're, we're supposed to find that we can find that sin and then confess it, but we shouldn't be bewailing the fact, you know, this, this, if we go back to the metaphor of the Lord and the servant, the servant springs up in order to serve the Lord and only falls because of the haste in order to serve the Lord. So therefore, God does not blame us for it. So it's a gentle self-accusing. This is so different than what's going on in the culture at the time of Julian, where you have people trying to find out what it is that everybody's done wrong that's brought the Black Plague upon Europe, and you have people who are flagellants who are, you know, wandering from town to town, whipping themselves on the back, um, causing themselves great pain, accusing all sorts of people, you know, the Jews get blamed for things, other people get blamed for things, horrible things happen, and in the, in, in people trying to figure out, you know, what sin they can eliminate that will stop the Black Plague. Um, it's supposed to be a gentle self-accusation. So uh, it's not supposed to be harsh. It's not supposed to be um, something that we do constantly. It's something that we're supposed to do just as part of our relationship with God. And one of the things I love about Anglicanism is that's really what the general confession feels like. It feels like a gentle self-accusation. It feels very much grounded in this what in, in what Julian is talking about today. She talks about the lower part and the upper part um, of man's souls, the lower part being everything that's going on uh, with the general self-accusation and other stuff, and the upper part being the part of us that is always wanted to Christ um, and is never, ever apart. Um, but the higher part, none of these except the same high joy and overwhelming love in which overwhelming joy and all pains are wholly destroyed. There is absolutely nothing separating the one and the other, for it is all one love. It's, as our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, is fond of saying, it's all about love. Uh, and you can't separate the one love from the other. It's all of one, um, one, one part and all of one substance. Let's continue with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I ask your prayers for the people of Eastern Europe, particularly Ukraine. I ask your prayers for those who are on our parish prayer list. I ask your prayers for the, peop for the people of Puerto Rico. And I bid your prayers and intercessions at this time. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy Lord, the ground of our beseeching, who through your servant St. Julian revealed the wonder of your love, grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me as we read through um, Julian's showings again. Um, take care of yourselves, and uh, next week we'll see you again. Until then, God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available once a week on Thursday. The text of Julian's Revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson OJN and is used by permission of the Order of Julian of Norwich. The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.